Good morning everybody, it's Shay Cormack here, your Friday night DM, and I'm back out on the streets in the dark podcasting. I've brought my little booklet uh, with me this morning which has got the tables that I want to talk to you about, and I'm hoping that by the light of the street lamps I'll be able to read some of these uh, tables to you and talk to you about um, some of the mechanics that uh, provide a framework or a spine to your hex crawl. First up, um, I've got a, and a little table. It's not really a table that you roll on. It's a table or a list of the order of events in one day uh, in your hex crawl. So first of all, in my hex crawl, at the very start of every day, I roll to determine the weather. And uh, you know, a bad roll is a blizzard. A middling roll might be just rain and, and hail. Uh, a, a good roll, low on the table, uh, might be an overnight frost uh, or wintry, uh, cold day, um, maybe icy conditions or something like that. So that's how I start off um, each day is by rolling the weather. But you could add in anything there, um, any kind of environmental effect. Maybe in your in your world, there's some kind of magic, um, magical disturbance going on, and you roll on a table to see whether there's going to be something happening that's suppressing the use of magic, or whether there's like strange magical effects that are taking um, taking precedent on that day that have mechanical effects on on the party. You can add anything in in there, or you can just completely remove that. Your weather roll could even be more about just aesthetic, like, you know, it's sunny today, or it's grey skies today. It's just a descriptive uh, narrative uh, thing without very much mechanical impact. Next up, um, generally the party is going to be uh, asked them to make a decision about moving through the map. So if they're in their start location and uh, they've already picked a caller, Hopefully they've already uh, picked something they want to do for the day. So maybe I should rewind a little bit here, digress once again. At the start of the session, uh, as you're getting warmed up and getting ready to actually play, you need the party to pick a caller. The caller is the person who's going to, he's not necessarily, or it's not necessarily a man or a woman. Uh, someone in the party needs to be um, a conduit of information between the party and the dungeon master. They're not necessarily the leader or casting any kind of uh, vote that's more powerful than the other people in the team. It's just that um, when I've got a large group of players and they're trying to all communicate to me their various ideas, you know, there's going to be some people who want to go west and some people that want to go east. They need to come to a consensus as a group and then uh, have the caller um, communicate clearly to me what they want to do. So hopefully they've come to a consensus about where they'd like to start heading to on the map and the caller will say to me, okay we're uh, on the safe hex, we're on the starting location, we want to move one hex over here, <coughs> excuse me, and he would tell me the hex number that they're moving in. So they might be moving into 10.12 so that's there's little in the hexes there's little identifiers about uh, kind of where it is on the grid of the hex so he'll choose the, the party will choose to move into a new hex 
one of the other main choices they might have um, when they're in a hex instead of moving to the next hex they might spend time searching the hex they're in now i'm going to have to digress again the movement system and timekeeping system that you use in a hex crawl um, can be complicated or it can be really easy but there is a great need to track at least movement uh, throughout the day and I think time as well. I believe it was Gary Gygax um, that said some quote along the lines of that if you're not keeping track of time you're not really playing the game. And so I spent a bit of time looking at the movement rules, overland movement rules in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. Also looked at a little bit of what BX had to offer and some of the abstract tables that are available through the Hex Talk website. And uh, what I decided to do was to abstract all of that information even further. Because basically um, a character can walk or move 24 miles in a day. Now if you're unencumbered or if you've got a horse um, or some other mode of transportation you may be able to move a little bit more than that. Maybe you can move uh, 36 miles in a day. But then again, if you are encumbered um, or the difficult, the terrain's difficult, you may be able to move only 18 miles in a day. Now, there is a reasonably big difference between 24 and 36 miles in a day. But to my mind, the amount of figuring out different things and adding up how much stuff weighs and what horses and what wagons and what terrain you're in, just to come up with a, an arbitrary figure about how far you can move in one day, just too much complication. I abstracted the whole thing down and I said, look, a party can basically move 24 um, miles in one day. Um, because even when you've got a horse, um, horses don't move that much faster than humans over, over the period of day, one day or days. You might be able to thrash a horse out and uh, ride much further than a human can walk in one day. But the next day that horse is going to be knackered probably not going to be moving very fast at all so it all averages out and I thought 24 miles in a day is a pretty fair um, amount of movement and then what I did after that I think this is the trick that really worked well for me was I abstracted that into 24 movement points so typically to move from one hex to another in my game costs six movement points it doesn't cost six miles it costs six movement points and now I'm tracking time as well as distance so if you think about a party waking up in the morning they get ready maybe it's seven o'clock before they hit the road seven o'clock in the morning and maybe they travel through to late afternoon five o'clock in the afternoon or something like that and then it's time to start setting up camp foraging getting ready for darkness to come so uh, how many hours of movement is that something like 10 hours of movement um, and we're saying they can move 24 miles in a day that means when they have moved 12 movement points or used 12 movement points it's basically halfway through that daylight period of the day and I might be able to say to the party it's a it's a late lunch time you guys uh, have been moving all through the morning um, and the sun's at its zenith what would you like to do next? So, not only can they use their movement points uh, to move from one hex to another, 
but they can also use movement points to search a hex. Now it might cost, depending on the, the terrain in that hex, varying amounts of movement points. Generally though it's going to cost something like double the amount of movement points that you'd use to move through a hex to search. And uh, that's a pretty generous rule because if you think about a six mile hex, so a, a, a piece of land that's six miles from one side to the other, it's something like 36 square miles worth of, worth of land. So if you want to search that area to try and find say the entrance to an underground cavern or some something that you're looking for it's gonna take a bit of time now obviously it's a lot easier to find a large town a lot quicker um, compared to the entrance to an underground cavern um, and of course in a flat grassland with very little features and nothing much to obstruct uh, the horizon it's going to be a lot easier compared to say in a, a wooded forest and so we get to setting those specifics a little bit later on but the basic thing is that when the party chooses to move or search it's going to cost them movement points which is also going to be able to help me track how far through the day they are in terms of time. That means I also put a time or a movement point cost on other things. If they have a short role playing encounter on, the, on their way to somewhere or as they're going through the day I might note down that that cost them three movement points because they spent about an hour having that interaction so they've lost some time in the day and they've lost that, some of that ability to move um, further distance during the day. Now if they choose to move into a new hex then I roll on a very important uh, table which is my hex contents table and that will determine what they encounter in that hex. So, so for example, I'll just tell you what that table entails. It's a d12 roll, and if they, if I roll a one through six, nothing occurs to the party. If I roll a six or a seven, there's a hazard that they encounter. If I roll an eight or a nine, they encounter a wandering monster. If I roll a ten, they encounter hazard or a wandering monster. And if I roll an 11, they find a monster's lair. And if I get a 12, they find an adventure locale. Now there's a couple of uh, items on that list that players of 5th edition are not going to be familiar with those phrases. So I'll just uh, tell you a little bit about them. A hazard means that I'm going to roll on my hazard table for that region or that terrain type and something bad or something to overcome is going to happen to the players. Uh, maybe they find a raging river and there is a log, um, a dead tree across the river. Everyone's got to make a dexterity saving throw um, to cross the log successfully, but anyone who fails falls into the river um, and they, the rest of the party have to rescue them. The party loses six movement points because of the amount of time they need to rescue that player, uh, drag them out of the river, warm them up in front of a fire, and that pl player who fell in the water gets one level of exhaustion. So you can see how a hazard can be something uh, that the party might overcome, but if they fail, there might be some consequences and some costs to the party. Of course, Wandering Monster. I'm going to roll on a Wandering Monster table uh, for that region or terrain type and see what kind of uh, monster or NPC uh, the players encounter and that 
may not actually be a combat encounter or it may not be a direct encounter with the actual monster maybe you find the spore or the tracks of the monster that uh, I've rolled on the table now monster lair on an 11 they find a monster lair and this is definitely something that's not very very used in fifth edition but as I learnt about it more for myself it's something from older editions where in the monster manual I think every monster had a lair um, some kind of stats or environmental effects um, that will happen uh, where they live and so that happens a little bit in 5th edition some of the uh, more important or bigger monsters have lair actions and uh, descriptions about their lair uh, but it was much more common in older editions and that's something you can do a little bit of work on um, as you're developing your resources and something I spent a little bit of time on um, developing little lair ideas for the various monsters that occur um, in my wandering monster table. The last, um, last item on this list is locale. Now if there is a, an adventure locale um, in that hex that's either hidden or known about by the players, so they get to the hex, they know this is where the wizard's tower is, um, but they can't see it obviously from the edge of the hex, it's a big space, it's 36 square miles. Um, but I by chance roll a 12 on the hex content and when they arrive at the hex they can clearly see where the, um, where the wizard's tower is. Conversely if it's a hidden location, hidden adventuring loca locale in that hex, just by chance as they walk through the hex they see the, uh, the crypt-like entrance to an underground um, base or dungeon. The third option is there is no um, secret location already prepared for that, for that hex and there is no um, known location in that hex. So at this point I will roll a dice and pick a random adventure um, or side quest or dungeon from a little pile that I've got sitting next to me at the table and they'll be presented with the opportunity to have a random adventure or encounter. So that's what's going to happen if they move into a hex. Like I said the other option is to search a hex. Um, maybe they encountered some monsters in this hex and they're like why are these drow here in the forest? This is not right, there shouldn't be drow here. Let's search the hex and see if we can find out what's going on. So they might search the hex hoping to find um, tracks from the drow leading them to the underdark or uh, find if there is some kind of base that the drow are working from. So there's various reasons they might want to search a hex. Um, and like I said, maybe they know that there's um, something strange going on in a particular hex and but they need to search it to figure out what's going on. So when they search a hex, like I told, said before, it costs a lot more movement points, it costs a lot more of the day to search the hex and especially if they're like in a wooded forest, it takes quite a lot of time to search a, a 36 square mile area of forest. Uh, maybe they're in some hills um, where there's often from the bottom of ravines or gullies you can't see very far so again it costs it can cost, cost quite a bit of movement points, quite a bit of time of your day to search a hex, but the results that you can get on the hex content table reflect that. So if I was to roll my d12 on the hex contents 
table for searching. On a one through three, they'd find nothing. On a four, they'd encounter a hazard. On a five and a six and a seven, there'd be a wandering monster. Or an, on an eight, nine, ten, or ten, there'd be a monster lair. And on an eleven or a twelve, there'd be an um, adventuring location. So you can see that there's much more likelihood that they're going to find that they're searching for, uh, find an adventuring location that they're looking for, or even find the monsters that they're looking for. And sometimes what I do is, if they are tracking a certain monster or trying to find a certain monster, and I roll a wandering monster um, result, I might let them find the tracks of that monster and then give them the opportunity through uh, like a wisdom survival uh, check for tracking that they might track that monster back to its lair or its base whatever they're really trying to achieve by searching that hex now I know I've talked about this just this movement that all this choice to either search or move quite a bit but it really is um, one of the main elements of the whole game and as you see the other tables coming together you'll see the real importance of this now I'm also on my blog making these tables available to you so if you check the show notes you'll see a link to my blog but if you just want to type it into your uh, into your uh, google it's friday night dnd.home.blog and uh, these tables are available there so the party decides whether they're going to move into a hex or search a hex now of course if they have found an adventure location or something like that now we can move on to just they enter into a dungeon we start playing classic dungeons and dragons now if they choose to move to a hex not only am i going to roll on a hex contents um, table but i'm going to ask the party also to make a navigation check now depending on the terrain there's going to be a different dc for that check and one person on the party is the navigator uh, generally you know they've got a ranger or somebody who's got a decent stat or a decent skill um, in wilderness survival so they're going to roll us a, a navigation check i want to avoid the idea that the everybody gets a chance to roll the check because of course someone's going to succeed so one person in the party rolls a navigation check if they succeed hooray they get to the next hex without um, getting lost and without losing, losing any mo uh, movement points additional to what it just costs to move that distance but if they fail that check I've got another table um, which has consequences for getting lost now often the consequence for getting lost or failing a navigation check is going to be losing additional movement points and time from your day as you have to backtrack or something like that but also when you get lost other bad things might happen to you uh, like maybe you wander into an ambush site uh, where bandits have uh, set up a, an ambush around a track or a road and you fall right into that trap um, so there's lots of things you can do to the party if they get lost I'm getting closer to another street lamp so I can see my table again um, I normally do that navigation check as well before I do the hex contents roll now if on the hex contents roll there is no encounter there's no hazard or anything like that we go back to the start you're in this new hex the party chooses again do they want to move or search so they can continue if there's uneventful and there's no encounters and they're not failing any rolls 
they can move quite a bit throughout the day um, and move you know four or five hexes in one day uneventfully uh, and that's a nice smooth day but if I do roll um, a wandering monster so we've talked about what happens if I roll a hazard um, on the hex contents table I'm going to roll on a hazard table um, now wandering monster or monster lair I'm going to roll on my wandering monster table for the region or the terrain type that they're in and uh, say for example I roll and I've been using goblins a lot as an example but let's say I roll uh, drow now if I've rolled um, that they've had an encounter with a wandering monster as drow or um, now I'm going to go to another table and I'm going to roll to see what the drow are doing so I'm going to roll a 1d6 and some of the results might be the drow are resting or hunting or working or doing something strange now if by chance the drow to when I rolled on the wandering monster table I got a doubles so I rolled double two so that's a four so four on the table is drow but because I got a doubles I'm going to roll on the wandering monster table of the adjacent region so I say I roll again on the uh, wandering monster table from the adjacent region and on that one I get goblins so now I've got an encounter that involves drow and goblins and I've got another table here and I roll on this and this will determine what's going on between the two the two groups so they might be fighting or meeting or working together or one group has slaved another so now I'm getting a random um, relationship between these drow and these goblin and uh, this is an exciting part of the hex crawl because this is where um, the party starts to have choices about like maybe maybe it's the drow have enslaved these goblins and they um, got the goblins chained up and they're w walking along um, in single file and the party now has the choice well do we kill the drow and free the goblins do we kill the drow and take the goblins prisoner or what do you do with goblin slaves or captives do you free them or put them out of their misery for the sake of the settlers in the land it's like it starts to make up make these opportunities for role-playing decisions for the party uh, and lots of interesting things happen as a result of these particular two tables not only do I roll to see what the drow are doing say they're resting but then I might then I also roll on the reaction table and this is the reaction of the drow to the party and so you might have that the uh, result that the drow are hostile and attack immediately or that the drow are indifferent and uninterested in the party or even that they're friendly so they bump into some drow as they're walking through the forest that's really strange what a drow doing above ground but when I roll on it, it says that on these further tables, it says the drow are resting. So the party are like, what are the drow doing? And I say, give me, give me uh, uh, an insight check. Well, it looks like they've set camp in this area. Some of them have put down bed rolls. It looks like they're taking a rest. And then, uh, then I also roll that they're friendly. And I say to the party, well, do you give away your location? Are you trying to be stealthy or, or do you think they're going to notice you? Well, if they... The, the drow notice the party and hail them 
good friends, good fellows, come and join us at our campfire. And now again, you've got this really interesting situation now where the drow want to be friends with the party. Now this is why we leave the a lot of the map and a lot of the ideas about who's bad and who's good as a blank canvas because this is a situation in which we might find out that in this world, because we may not be playing in your uh, typical D&D world, the drow are actually good guys. They're a little bit misunderstood and because they live underground and not many people know them, uh, they've got a little bit of a bad reputation, but when you actually meet a drow, they're just good folk and uh, you can hang out with them and it turns out that drow have got problems too. In fact, they really need help because uh, the local humans have uh, been tipping all their waste and offal and uh, other excrement down a large pit and it's coming straight down into their living environment down in the underdark and it's a real pollution problem and the drow are pissed off about it and uh, if the party don't help negotiate between the drow and the local human settlement there's going to be a bloodbath you know there's all sorts of possibilities that can come out from these tables and from keeping an open mind as to what's going to happen and who's who and not having any preconceived uh, notions about where you want to push the storyline this is called emergent play and uh, to give another shout out to Jason Hobbs this is what he talks about all the time we want emergent play we want storylines and story arcs to emerge from playing the game not because we've kind of forced them or created them um, ourselves and we want the player characters their personalities and their decisions to emerge from play not from the three-page backstory that the character that the player had writ before they even sat down at the table. So, at this point, they've met the drow. The drow are resting, and the drow are friendly. The party can either decide to have a role-playing experience with the drow, and uh, who knows, maybe they parlay and become friends or whatever, or they can choose to fight. Now, really simple. Most DMs know how to deal with a fight. We're going to roll initiative and start fighting each other. After the fight has finished or the role-playing situation has ended, we go back to the start of this table. What do you guys want to do next? Do you want to move through to the next hex? Do you want to search this hex? Maybe at this point, it's, uh, they've already used 22 movement points. Much further they can go on the day without forcing a march. So they say, well, we're going to set camp with the drow. Um, and I would say, cool, how about you guys, uh, anyone who wants to forage and do other things about setting camp, and someone might be saying, I'm going to set up the tents. Another person's, I'm going to gather some more wood uh, to, for the fire. Someone might go hunting for some game, and someone go to, the, to a nearby stream for some water, so they gather some rations. I remind them to track whether they're using rations from their, um, from their packs, stuff they've brought with them, or whether they've been successful in in uh, foraging for rations so they don't have to use up any from their stores um, and then I might ask them you know you guys going to set watches through the night often they will because they know bad things can happen in the night so they set three watches for the night and th at this point I'm going to roll on the hex content um, hex contents table again and say for example I roll a seven so that's a hazard. And then I'm going to roll on my hazard table. 
Now some of the hazards don't make any sense uh, in the context of being during the night time, but some of them do. For example, I've got a forest region and one of the hazards is that um, monkeys come down from the trees and try and steal, I'm sorry for that, a truck just went back past. Monkeys come down out of the trees and start, try and steal uh, items from each player character. And as a nasty DM, I get to say to each character which item they're carrying, the monkeys try and steal. And it's often something they really like. And they have to make some kind of roll to prevent the monkeys from stealing their stuff. So say I roll a hazard on the um, hex contents table, and then I roll on my hazard table and I get monkeys. And then I'm gonna roll a 1d6, and on a one or a two, I'm gonna say that happens during the first watch of the night three of a four it's in the second watch you get what's going on here so I roll a three and I say okay who's on watch in the second watch of the night and it's two particular characters I say okay monkeys come uh, I say give me a perception check to see whether they notice the monkeys coming down out of the out of the um, forest and say they fail that check okay next minute monkeys are amongst the party stealing stuff from their loot everyone that's um, asleep doesn't even get to try and stop the monkeys because the people on watch um, didn't alert them. So the monkeys automatically steal some stuff uh, from the sleeping party members. That's going to be really fun. And then the monkeys, one of the two or three monkeys, jump on one of the people that's on watch and try and wrestle um, their magical sword out of their hand to steal that because it's nice and shiny. And that player's got to make a strength roll to try and um, stop the monkeys stealing their sword. So you can see how really fun stuff can start happening by mixing together tables that normally uh, wouldn't go together. Um, so they've got through the night unscathed, except for somebody had their magical plus one sword stolen by monkeys and two of the sleeping players had their whole backpack stolen. And so all their rations and all their, a whole lot of their stuff is missing. They're a bit annoyed about the whole thing. We get, they wake up the next morning, I roll to see what the weather is, and then I ask the caller, what are you guys going to do today? And, you know, other than maybe having another role-playing opportunity um, in camp with the drow as they have breakfast together, the party might be saying, well, we know the local village is in the hex to the west, we want to move to that hex and go and find um, the village elders and talk to them about the way they're uh, disposing of their waste into the underdark and polluting that environment. So I say, okay, move your counter on the hex map. Can you tell me what hex you've moved into? I note down on my piece of paper, yep, they've used six movement points to move to that hex. I say, you guys move into the hex, give me a navigation roll. It's a nice and easy area because it's all pasture land and grassland, so they haven't got lost and they make a successful roll and then I roll to see if they encounter anyone uh, on the on the hex contents and maybe it's a wandering monster I roll on there they bump into a tinker they have a chat to him buy some of his wares because you know someone's already lost their pots and pans to the to the thieving monkeys but they get to the town now we have a role-playing opportunity I don't have anything prepared for this but it's pretty easy to make up something on the fly um, when, and as they have a conversation with the, um, with the village elders. A few role playing uh, back and forth and a few roles later, they've successfully um, come up with a compromise with the village elders and problem solved. Now at the start of the session, 
they were heading to the Dwarven mine, uh, abandoned long ago to find the long lost rumoured treasure um, that's at the bottom of it. But on the way, they've met some interesting drow. These cats are pretty cool, they've made friends with them. They've discovered there's like a bit of an ecological disaster and potentially um, a war about to break out between the dwellers of the Underdark and the surface dwellers. They've intervened, solved the problem, and uh, now they're thinking about going back to their safe location, ending the session, partying in town, using their carousing tables, and then saying goodbye to each other in real life, and everyone going home to have a good night's sleep before coming back next Friday to play again. That is like the, the spine or the backbone um, of a hex crawl. The th three or four little tables that underpin everything that I'm doing in my hex crawl. Next um, episode, I'm going to talk about region gazetteers. Now this gazetteers, the information about the, the different regions on the map or the different terrain types that are on the map and the gazetteer includes the hazard table for um, the region, the wandering monster table for that region, the consequences of getting lost um, table for that region. It uh, also has some layers, some treasure rolls, uh, a few other things and though that's really fun, the gazetteer. So come back, listen to the next episode. Also don't forget to visit my blog uh, the, the address is in the show notes and you can have a look at these tables. It may even be good to get those tables and look at them while you're listening to this, uh, this episode. Hey, have fun, play D&D, &D, come back again. See ya.